The Jet Set Breakfast on SAFM. Destination unknown. It seems appropriate that we're going into the guest that we have now for the next 40 minutes. Graham Codrington is a futurist and scenario planner specializing in the future of work. He's the head of a global research team at Tomorrow Today Futures Institute and has a CV that is as long as my arm, if not longer. And I say it seems appropriate because uh, much of the conversation at this time of the year is around the closing off of 2023. But what happens when we start to look at the future or futures of 2024 and moving onwards? And how do we think about the future and uh, certainly the scenarios that may play out? It's going to be a big year next year. We're looking at elections in South Africa. There's certainly other elections around the globe as well. And what does that mean for us and how do we think about our year as it is coming towards us? Graham, thank you so much for making the time on a Sunday morning. Good morning, Michelle. It's lovely to speak to you. Graham, let's uh, talk to when we talk about being a futurist or a scenario planner, what does that actually mean? (laughs) I always debate with myself whether I should use that label or not, because I think people have a picture of uh, someone in a caravan with a crystal ball (laughs) trying to predict the future. And of course, nobody can predict the future. You can't do that. But what scenario planners do is we try and work out what are the possible options for what could happen, and then help people to prepare for all of those options. I think too often when people try and think about the future, we try and make plans for 2024, we think the best thing to do is to be as certain as we can of what might happen. So Mm. what might the Rand dollar exchange rate be? What might the price of petrol be? Who's going to win the election? And we try and come up with our best guess and then make one plan for that best guess. (laughs) It never works because the world is just so uncertain, so volatile these days. So what we're trying to do as scenario planners is say to people, get a sort of broader spread of possibilities. Look at a best case, a worst case scenario. The reality will be somewhere in between and become more adaptable. Prepare yourself for whatever might happen. Uh, It's more than just a trick of of the brain, you know, just sort of tricking your brain into thinking. I think it really builds a little bit of resilience, a lot of adaptability uh, into your personal life and obviously into your business and the country as a whole. You know, you talk about the uncertainty of life, and I'm always one, as anybody will tell you, to say, well, change is the only constant. And of course, I like to say that for a variety (laughs) of reasons. But literally, that is the only constant. And when we prepare... I like this idea that one could prepare for more uncertainty because the very nature of preparing uh, seems like an oxymoron in relation to uncertainty. So how do we, how do we join the dots, so to speak? Well, a good example will be next year's elections. Mm. And interestingly, when we say next year's elections, you hinted at that in the introduction. Did you know that there are 71 countries that are going to have elections next year? 4.2 billion people qualify to vote in elections next year. It's the first time in human history that more than half of the world's population is going to have the opportunity to choose a new government. And that's America, UK, EU, Russia, India, uh, and of course, across South Africa, I think Kenya, and of course, South Africa. So it's lots of countries, lots of elections that are very, very consequential. Um, And what I mean by that is that 
the elections can make a significant difference to the future of the country and in some cases the future of the world. And so when we look ahead, let's look at uh, South Africa's elections. I think you've got three major possibilities. The one is that the ANC wins more than 50% of the vote, and then it's kind of just carry on as we are at the moment. The second scenario is that the ANC collapses completely and sort of drops down into the 30%. And then you've got two or three big parties that have each got sort of in the region of 20, 20 something percent. Um, and they would then have to try and form a coalition together of quite big parties that have got very, very different ideologies. And uh, they may not be able to form a coalition. That would be an interesting situation. That's probably our worst case scenario, if you like. The likely scenario is that the ANC may come in just under 50% by 2%, by 5%. And they would need to look for a small coalition partner. So one of the smaller parties could form an alliance with the ANC that together they get more than 50% and can form a government. And that, Rishali, is hugely interesting in South African um, political history because it means that our vote next year is maybe more powerful than it's ever been. And by our vote, I mean my vote and your vote and everybody's vote individually. Because if you vote for a party that just gets 1% or 2%, it might be the party that allows the ANC to form a government and it becomes very, very powerful, way more powerful than you would expect a 2% party to be. And so voting for a 2% party next year um, is really smarter and more powerful than it's ever been in our history. So that is an example. I hope that's a good example of just as we look ahead at next year's political events, looking at it from a scenario perspective, picking three big scenarios, suddenly we realize, wow, we've got a picture that's different. And uh, it maybe causes us to change the way we think about who we would vote for next year. You know, Graham, when you talk, you, you talk, you say, you suggest, well, that could be an interesting situation or this could be an interesting situation. And I think that what's, in, what's interesting about that is that you aren't looking at this, well, this could be a horror story and that could be a horror story. There, there's almost a sense of um, pulling slightly away and being able to look at it with a very cool eye, look at the entire landscape with a cool eye. Is that like mm. a learnt thing or is that something we could all start to try as hard as it is to do? That's a that's a great question. I I think some scenario planners, some people who look at the future, your, your brain has a natural instinct to look for the worst case scenario. This goes all the way back to the stuff that's kept us alive for millions of Fight years. You, exactly. You you know, if there is a lion in, in the bush about to attack you, you don't want to sit there and ponder about it for <laughs> a few hours and have a detailed philosophical conversation with your friends. You know, you, you want to see the danger and run or, 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 or face the danger. And so that's your brain's natural instinct. Look for the things that can go wrong. And when you allow that natural instinct to take over, you're always looking for the worst case scenario. It's always the worst time in history. Uh, things are always worse than they used to be when I was growing up, all this language that people use quite regularly. I think uh, for me, and in fact, this was the 
basis of uh, my doctoral uh, thesis was about looking at the power of optimism in leadership. And I, I use the language of urgent optimism. I think that's what we need, not just in South Africa, but in the whole world at the moment. A sense that, yes, things are not what we would like them to be. They're not anywhere near as good as they could be. But it's up to us uh, to make that difference and to choose the best paths. Once you see which paths are available, you have more ability to choose the best path. And so for me, that's part of why I do what I do for a living is not just helping people to think through what's possible, but also helping them to choose the most optimistic path that is available to us. You know, Graham, you, if you talk about the power of optimism and choosing the best path, the implication is that as an individual, we have the ability to make shift and make change. Do you truly believe that? I do. And, and I think I've got more than enough proof mm. uh, that that is, in fact, how things work. And I can give you two recent examples. Uh, when was it? About two years ago, we had the, there were riots across KZN mainly, but in many parts of, of the country. And those were related to a variety of different things uh, related to uh, ex-President Zuma going to court and related to uh, a number of other issues that all sort of coalesced at the same time uh, in July two years ago. And a lot of people thought this is the end. And, and a lot of people were seriously impacted, especially in KZN. But then we began to see the pictures of the day after and two or three days after as people from communities arrived with their buckies and their mops and their brooms and helped the shopping malls and the, and the shops that had been vandalized, helped them to clean up. And the communities gathered together. And in fact, some of those communities down in KZN now are stronger than they've been in a long time. Uh, they've voted new politicians in who are doing something different. They've got together as communities and are fixing their own roads and sorting their own situation out, taking back control um, and doing it in a way that's also brought sort of the suburbs and the townships to together. I, again, it's not perfect. It's not uh, beautiful and, and, and everything that it could be. But it's way better than I think people thought it would be in the moment. And I think if you just step back and you have a look at how people respond in a crisis, only a very, very few people respond with, with violence and selfishness. So throughout COVID, the second example I could give, we just had people helping each other. And that might just be a neighbor helping the person next to them. It might be people who gave generously so that those uh, people who had lost jobs or people in the townships who were starving, they were able to get food every day. And I just, I keep my eyes open for those stories and I see them all the time because I'm looking for them. Um, and I think that we see evidence all around us that if we do trust people to be their best, they reward that. It's interesting because I remember at the time of COVID, uh, I think it was Jessica Donation, Dr. Jessica Donation, who wrote, uh, put together a book with her students at the university, one of the universities, on basically random acts of kindness, except they weren't as random as one thinks they were. There was, there was a lot of uh, real thought and 
consideration behind how they were done and the different acts of kindness that took place during COVID. And the book is really a beautiful, beautiful book of, as you say, just people engaging in a very different way. Graham, we're going to play your second choice song, Mandela by Zahara, obviously, featuring Mzawake Mbule. Why have you chosen that particular song for today? Well, it links nicely to the conversation we've just been having. Next year's election is one of the most consequential elections we've had in our history. And I just, as I was thinking about the future, I actually read a lot more history textbooks because they're not many future textbooks, if you like. And we've got to learn from the past and we've got to learn from the things we did right and do more of those and the things we did wrong and do less of that. And so for me, obviously, just uh, reminding us of the legacy of Zahara herself, but also this particular song that just reminds us that we have one of the greatest leaders of, of all of history uh, as one of our personal legacies, and we shouldn't give up on his dream. He wasn't able to deliver it in his lifetime, but the dream is still there for us to deliver a country that is good for all who live in it. Wow, it's a song that uh, brings so many feelings to me when I read that or listen to it, Mandela by Zahara featuring Mzwaka Mbule. Our guest today is Graham Codrington and he is an extraordinary uh, thinker, I suppose one could say, a futurist and a scenario planner. He specializes in thinking about the future of work. And um, Graham, I, I, you, you said something interesting earlier where you spoke about um, maybe looking a bit, a, a bit more at history and and looking back in order to to move forward and a friend of mine just recently gave me a book called regret learning from the past um in order to change the future and i thought it's it, i mean it's a fascinating book and I, I really appreciate having got it because it does talk to the power actually of regret to make things everybody always says i never regretted this i didn't regret that and I gave me the opportunity to do that. But sometimes regret gives you the space to really change things as you move into a future that may be different. And I, I think that's exactly right. You know, the it was Abraham Lincoln many, many years ago when he was just beginning his presidency and he realized that slavery was now one of the big issues that he wanted to deal with. And people told him it wasn't possible. You know, the nation would be ripped apart if he tried to do anything about it. And and they said, you, you know, don't make any predictions about what you can achieve. And his response, I'm sure I'm not getting his exact words here, but he said something along the lines of you can't predict the future, but you can create it. Hmm. And um, I think that's a powerful reminder to all of us that it, it, it can we can quickly feel like we are victims of circumstance. I mean, maybe a good example of this one is one of the big trends of, of 2023, which will definitely continue uh, into the future, is um, our team is calling it the scenario of the angry planet. Hmm. And it, it's got to do with the fact that it really does look as if we have tipped over some kind of change moment in our weather patterns and yeah. our climate and our environment. 
um, you know, I think everybody I speak to, I've got clients all over the world and all of them say, I don't know what's going on with the weather. It's either colder than it's ever been at the moment in the northern hemisphere with snow like they haven't had before in November and December. Or as we had in Johannesburg, where I stay, November was the hottest November Johannesburg has ever had. And in fact, it was actually the hottest on average yeah. November that the whole world has ever had. And that then causes just a dramatic shift. And we don't know. Is it going to rain today? I don't know. Is it going to rain this month? Who can tell? And then when it does rain, it rains unbelievably. So at the moment, one of the islands in, in, in Fiji, uh, right. Tuvalu, yep. has literally had more rain in one day than they normally have in most of the year. And their entire airport has just been washed away. And they, they can't get flights in and out. And they're hopefully going to repair it over the next few days. But everybody is stuck, either stuck there or stuck not being able to get home and maybe not even for Christmas. And so we're seeing those are just small examples of a massive trend we know to be true. I know some people uh, query it. It's part of a big culture war, which is also one of the trends we keep watching. But it's, I think very few people can argue now that the, the weather's gone crazy and that's going to impact us. Are there things we can do? to rectify that, to change that, uh, or do we just have to learn to live with it? Uh, I think all of the above. But what it's going to take is each of us saying, how do I respond? Um, and if you get 8 billion people trying to respond, uh, it'll all add up together and we can do something. You know, you talk about the culture wars, and of course one of the, the, the issues, I suppose, of staying ahead um, in this game of, of worlds that continuously change, is to be able to understand, to be aware of, um, amongst other things, fake news, misinformation, disinformation. How do we uh, really protect ourselves against that? It's almost impossible, I, I think. And this is not a, a new phenomenon. Again, we, uh, Michelle, we can talk here about history because a lot of people think, well, with social media, it's all in, this fake news is a new thing. But uh, the people who have had the printing presses for the last how many centuries have we had printing presses, those were the people who had control over the news you heard. Mm. Um, we, those of us who are old enough to have grown up in apartheid South Africa, we know for sure what propaganda looks like, which is, I think, why we can see it. Mm. Uh, you know, we know it when we see it in other parts of the world, because we know that the politicians just stand up and say what they want to say. And the newspapers, some of them uh, print what the politicians are saying, and then that's what people believe. And so, this has been around for as long as news has been around. But right now, we've the news comes at us thick and fast through social media. And you've got the opportunity of individuals without filtering or editors or systems and processes to filter that. Anybody can say and do anything. And then, of course, people with power can use those uh, systems, those social media platforms to to uh, just spew out propaganda. So 
I, I think this is going to be one of the things in the next 10 years we're going to have to really deal with as, as uh, people around the world. And I think we'll probably end up with, with some form of regulation and control in social media because I think people, more and more people, are realizing just how crazy uh, the news is. And by news, I don't mean news outlets. I just mean the social media wave of information that keeps coming yeah. at us. So very, you know, we can think about um, as we move forward in the world, staying ahead, I suppose. And I know that you've um, often spoken about the, um, the, the need to be curious, to constantly be scanning uh, the world around you, curious of new ideas, new research, new information. And yet many of us are feeling the need to be cautious and so there is this perhaps thin line between curious and getting out there and scanning and changing and watching and reading and also cautious and holding oneself closely in a time as difficult as this. How do you uh, square the block or, or circle the block or whatever they say that phrase is? <laughs> what, a, what a great uh, insight because that is, of course, the the massive balance that we need to keep. When we're thinking about the fact that we can change things in the world, there are, of course, also things we shouldn't change and mustn't change. And uh, if we think about our cultures, for example, that sort of thing that often people say, well, you can't touch my culture, you know, you can't change my culture. Culture does change and sometimes should change over time. But if you suddenly change everything about your culture, you'll really be left not knowing who you are, literally who you are, and then where you are, and, and even why you are. And so there is this balance. Uh, and and we do need to get better, I think, at having a balance between the conservative elements in society who, if they do it correctly, are a really good solid foundation for us to say, don't throw everything out just because you're feeling a bit frustrated this year. But then mm. the, there is the balance with the progressive side, which says change is good if it's done well, if it's done properly, if it's done with um, maybe even experienced change, if you like. You know, people who have got experience and wisdom can help us change rather than hold us back. And so there's always this balance. And I, and I think, Michelle, the answer to your question is actually we've got to just keep the balance. So sometimes we rush ahead. 2023 will be remembered for generative AI, ChatGPT mm. and Bard and Bing and Claude. And I think we've maybe rushed too quickly. There's been a lot of hype this year. I think it's a great thing. I think it's the most powerful technology we've uh, invented in my lifetime and maybe for a hundred, two, three, four hundred years. But you can, the, the progressive side, if we can call it that, they've rushed ahead to say, this is going to change everything. This is going to be used in every single industry. And we need to just realize that there are some things you shouldn't be using it for. There are some parts of our life where it's going to cause more trouble than it's, than it's going to solve. And so next year, I think, will be a little bit of balancing things out where we realize, oh, it's good for this, but not good for that. And uh, I think maybe in schools and universities, we're going to see that playing out uh, fastest as teachers work out 
you can't ban ChatGPT, but students have to work out, I can't just outsource my homework to ChatGPT. I'm not learning anything if I do that. And there's a balance somewhere there to be found. So I think that the, the answer to your question is there's a balance between those two things, cautious and curious and progressive and conservative. And the balance is there for us to find together as a community. A couple of quick questions or uh, I suppose questions and queries from our listeners. Cynthia saying, mm. Graham Codrington is amazing. Could you ask him if he's related to Reg Codrington? I was at school with Reg, <laughs> who was a true gentleman. <laughs> Well, it depends. Uh, my grandfather and father are both called Reg. They were both school teachers who became pastors. So it can be confusing. So it really depends on how old uh, she is. is. But, uh, <laughs> but my guess is that it would have been my father. But my grandfather was the same and also a true gent. Okay. X-Men and Kabecha. Um, uh, X-Men saying good morning. Thanks for the topic. Uh, I find scenarios to be one of the most strategic tasks every organization should occupy themselves with. I would absolutely agree, X-Men. Um, apart from the University of Stellenbosch, where else can one study in South Africa? Well, I studied at uh, the University of Pretoria. I did the MPhil in strategy, and there was a major focus on uh, scenarios there. But I imagine that all universities, Graham, would probably cover this, um, and maybe not only universities. Yes, there are a number, the Da Vinci Institute, Henley, a few others I know have focus. And I think any organization, Gibbs or the UCT Business School, uh, that focus on teaching leaders uh, how to engage with strategy and how to build their businesses, they would all include elements of this type of thinking. But what x is referring to is the Futures Institute that's yes, linked to the Stellenbosch Business School. And that is definitely South Africa's preeminent uh, organization that specifically trains futurists mm. um, to to develop. And, and each country around the world normally has one or, or, or two of these. Um, and if you want to study it academically, uh, then there are options uh, to do that. Graham, we're going to uh, start closing off, but uh, we, I'll go back to where we started, which really was around 2024. And you nailed it when you spoke about the 72 elections which are taking place globally and literally in the last month or so. We've seen such a diversity of engagement around issues of um, uh, more conservative, even right-wing uh, uh, parties coming into power. So there's this fascinating event, uh, uh, fascinating election with um, the new leader of Argentina. I think we're going to see some... Uh -huh possibly insane things happen there. Then, of course, we can go to the Netherlands, where um, as right-wing as you can get, Gert Wilders. But then, of course, you could go to Poland and Żebe Polska. I mean, they must be cheering, uh, many of them cheering, because they've gone with Donald Tusk, who's a far more um, mainstream conservative uh, in a positive way. So it seems that there's that it could just go anywhere at this point. And I'm wondering, not for you to tell us where you think it's going to go, but just how we can prepare ourselves for where it could go, might go, who knows where it will go. Well, uh, Michelle, I think what we've just been talking about sets it up perfectly, is that at the moment, I think people just 
don't know where it's going to go. So where many countries have had some time, I don't think any country's had sort of calm stability for the last few years, but I think there's been a sense that we sort of know where we are. In South Africa, it's been 30 years of the ANC. In England, it's been 12 years of conservative. <laughs> In Russia, it's been, I forget how many years of Putin and so on. And so you've you've had this sort of stability or constancy at least if it's not been stability and i think everybody everywhere in the world is recognizing that is coming to an end it, mm. it's literally coming to an end because our politicians are as old as they have ever been on average around the world so they are literally going to come to an end and it doesn't look in many places like an obvious new generation coming through so there's going to be a sort of jump of 30 or 40 years in the average age of politicians over the next 10 years but that same is true in technology that same is true in the physical environment around us that same is true in our societies and our communities and so I, I'm sort of ducking your question a little bit because I, <laughs> because I think that what people must prepare for in 2024 is, is a sort of a backlash to change, but then change that cannot be ignored. And so you, you've got these massive big forces. And history tells us that these moments are remembered by history. They get named in history textbooks in future times. And we look back at the Renaissance and the Reformation and the Enlightenment. Those are the labels we give them. And we think, wow, those must have been exciting times to live through. <sighs> we are living through one of them. Mm. And they will be exciting if we make the right choices. And I think what people must do is not choose on the basis of their fears and, and choose on the basis of what they wonder might go wrong, but rather choose on the basis of what's possible in terms of making good, optimistic choices. And I think that's, if, if you bring yeah. that attitude to 2024, You'll make some mistakes, but you'll you'll make more good choices than bad choices if you approach 2024 uh, with a sense of urgent optimism. Graham Codrington, what an absolute delight to talk to you. As um, Roz just uh, WhatsApped us to say that this has been a really, really fascinating conversation and she's really enjoying the last hour. So thank you so much for joining us. I hope that uh, the season gives you time for reflection as well as uh, urgent optimism. And uh, we look forward to chatting to you again in the new year. It's 9.47. When we come back from the song, which of course is Graham's third song, we're going to close off with uh, the developments ahead of the elections, looking at 2024 with regards to former President Zuma saying, I will not vote for the ANC.